Uh, well, if you're visiting us this morning, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Aaron Cotton, and I'm the family discipleship uh, pastor here at The Grove. And uh, I want to open up and just say happy Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the uh, beginning of a week of what we call Holy Week, where Jesus, as we've already heard, comes in and rides in uh, to the city of uh, Jerusalem, and the people are shouting, Hosanna, uh, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so, uh, and they're waving palm branches as they come in, hence the name Palm Sunday. And so, uh, maybe you came in here this morning, you saw some palm branches that have been laid out that our kids uh, are learning now right here in this moment because we're celebrating King Jesus. Uh, but as we've been going through the book of John, we've, we've seen um, Jesus go through trials. We've seen him now stand before Pilate. And so uh, the same people who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, well, about, in about five days, uh, they'll, be, they'll be shouting, crucify him, crucify him, a away with him. And there's an interesting verse in John chapter, tw uh, John chapter 12, verse 42. John writes, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Here it is. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I mean, it was a celebrating moment. Like our, our king has come, our, our Messiah is here. He's gonna come, he's gonna overthrow Rome. We're gonna no longer be in bondage. We're gonna be liberated. And then this king, even in John chapter 12, talks about him being raised up and drawing all people to himself. And then John lets us in and says, hey, who's speaking of his death? What king comes and lays down his life? Because church, death and suffering comes before glory. Death and suffering comes before glory. And so uh, speaking of, of glory, I have an opening question for us to think about. And the question is this, is whose glory do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy your own glory or the glory of Jesus? Because your honest response to that que question will set the trajectory of your life. There's a catechism called the Westminster Catechism, and he opens up with a question. And the question is, this is, what is the chief end of man? What's man's sole purpose in life? You want to know your purpose in life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We complicate that. But like that's what we were created for, is to make much of Jesus, to make much of his name. And as we make much of him, we enjoy him in the process. Church, like our, our desire for pleasure, our desire for enjoyment and God's glory are not intended to be at odds, but to be intertwined. This is what we were created for, is to enjoy Jesus and to treasure him above all things. But yet our hearts are deceitful. And as we heard during prayer time, we can wander and wander into other areas of life. So if you know a little bit about my family, I have a child, his name is Judah, and he's about 10 months old. Uh, and one of the uh, things that I've learned um, being a, a new parent um, is that even though you go out and you buy all these expensive toys for your kid, uh, thinking that it would satisfy them, uh, it doesn't. And so uh, just file that away for maybe future parents, like maybe a Take down the budget a little bit when you buy stuff for your kids because we have all the Fisher Price, we have all the ele electronic devices like uh, that, are, that are there for him. Not that he's playing on an iPad. I'm not that parent, God forbid. Me be that guy that's playing with an iPad at 10 months old. Not my. Like, that's not happening. But he has all these things that have been given to him that are like good and great, and you would think would occupy his time for a little bit, but. 
it's never enough. Like, like when we're hanging out at the house, like I think he's going to be enjoying those things, but he'll, he'll wander off. Like he's starting to crawl, and so he's darting, darting away. And like those things that are, that are good and all the things that I thought would be enough for him, like he'd rather go like lick the fireplace and like play with rocks. Where's Judah? Oh, he's playing on the fireplace where he's probably going to fall down and like bump his head and he's going to have a scar or a scratch or I promise you if you see scratches on my kid, I don't beat them. I, I promise. I, it's just he's falling over. He's, he's a little wobbly. But as, as, a, as a father, I, I, know, I, I know what's good for him. And as our heavenly father, he knows what's good for us, namely himself and the goodness and the sufficiency of him. But yet our hearts, we, we wander and we settle for playing on the fireplace. Or C.S. Lewis put, it's like hanging out at the beach and you're content making mud pies when there's a holiday at the sea. The abundance of the Lord and what he extends himself for us this morning. So the title this morning is this, it's for the king uh, and for his glory. Because when it seems that Jesus has been defeated, he is all the more Christ the victor. He's all the more Christ the victorious one. As he goes between trial and trial, between Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin council and to Pilate, to Herod, now back to Pilate where we are this morning, he is still at work, even when it seems like he's not. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in John chapter 18. John writes this. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews. This is Pilate. I find no guilt in him. We'll come back to that later. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do what you want to release to the king of the Jews. And they cried again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I mean, Pilate uses this custom of the law. He uses this in order to avoid or to, to, to skirt the issue, to keep the peace. Because at the time of Passover, it, you got about 200 to 300,000 people who've now converged into Jerusalem because of Passover. I mean, the, the city has multiplied. It's crowded. It's packed. And as the Jews are celebrating Passover, they're celebrating freedom. They're celebrating liberation because that's what God did back in the time of Exodus as he brought his people back out of Egypt, out of bondage, and yet they're celebrating this Passover and Rome is there. And so the Jews don't really, they don't care for Rome. Rome doesn't care for them. And so Pilate is terrified that there's gonna be a revolt. He's terrified that there's gonna be a, a, a revolt that breaks out or a riot. And so the air is thick with some serious hostility. In Matthew's account, during this time in Matthew chapter 27, at the time of the release of Barabbas, Pilate's wife comes to him and says, hey, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Y'all, even when the darkness sets in, even when there seems like there is no hope, God is still working, and he's revealing things in dreams to Pilate's wife, so much so that she says, hey, don't have anything to do with this guy. And then verse 20 of Matthew 27 says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So here's Barabbas, a rebel. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He's in prison. But now is free at the expense of Jesus. I mean, get the scene. Jesus is standing there in his place as Barabbas is released. And as I was reading this, I thought my initial thought was, how fair is that? 
You got Pilate and now his wife who's saying how innocent Jesus is, how righteous he is, and you have a thief and a robber, borderline terrorist maybe, and he's being released on, be on behalf of the cost of Jesus. And as we had just heard a prayer, like, y'all, as we look at Barabbas, we are Barabbas. This is the gospel, that Jesus stands in our place. He atones where we have fallen short, where he succeeds. He stands in our place and frees us when we believe in him. And we think maybe, well, I, I mean, Aaron, I haven't stolen anything. Yo, like, come on, I ain't a, I ain't a thief. Be careful comparing yourselves to people to convince how, how good you are is exactly what the religious leaders were doing during this day. People are not the standard. It's Christ and his righteousness that is the standard. Because church, because I love you. I love you. I'd be willing to say this, that in reality, we are all thieves. Robbing God's glory for ourselves and not giving him the recognition he deserves. And sometimes even using the Bible to do so. We crave the glory that comes from people rather than being content with the glory of Jesus. And this is why we love, like, when we do things and we're not getting credit for things, we want to say, hey, me too. Did you not see what I, did, you not see what I did? Or we get on our social media or we look at our screens to see uh, or seek for approval from the likes and the hearts. Or if you're part of the church and you're part of our group, me, you send out a message and there's that heart that's right there. And it's tempting to think that your message wasn't worthy enough unless you got some hearts. And so sometimes you send that out, it's like, well, are people even, uh, like, are they even looking at it? Like, do they even like me? Like, that can creep in to our hearts that is longing and yearning for the glory that comes from people. Because without the weight of God's glory on our lives, we will stray into using success or greatness for our own gain to display how awesome we are. Jesus says in Mark 10, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And if you know anything about Mark 10 and what's going on, Jesus tells him, I'm about to lay down my life. I'm about to be spit upon. I'm about to be mocked. I'm about to be crucified and publicly humiliated. And then John and James go over to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, like, hey, when you go like ascend into heaven, can I sit at your right hand? Hey, man, can I get like sit at your left hand? It's like, Y'all didn't even listen to what Jesus just said because y'all are concerned with your own glory. You're concerned with your own greatness. And they miss it. And that's why Jesus says, whoever must, wants to be great must become your servant. The son of man came not to be served, but came to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many, to pay the penalty of sin that me and you deserve. So our first thought this morning is this, is that greatness in the kingdom is through humility and servanthood. Let me ask you a question, church. What is your definition of greatness? How much did applause or getting credit or image control you this past week? Because if our pursuit is without Jesus, we will be about the fame and glory of ourselves, attempting to rob God's glory for our own. We're glory thieves. Yet Jesus stands in our place and wins. If you've got your Bibles... John chapter 19, verse 1, John continues to write, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. What kind of man tells the crowd and Jesus that he's innocent, without guilt, and yet, at the same time, flogs him? Someone who's consumed with his own glory. And the soldiers twisted a, 
uh, together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. I mean, what injustice. Jesus is alone. He's isolated. He's outnumbered. And he's abused. And the scene is awful. If you know anything about Roman scourging or Roman brutality and how they treated their criminals. There's a, an object called the cat of nine tails, which was a short wooden uh, a piece of wood and it had uh, strips of leather on it. And on that strips of leather, it would have lead, it would have brass, it would have bits of bone. Lead there so that it would, you would gain some momentum as you came across, as you flogged or as you scourged the criminal. I mean, there's many prisoners that came out of that and they didn't even survive. Veins would be exposed. Organs possibly would be exposed. And here's Jesus willingly laying down his life. The injustice, the physical abuse. And it wasn't even enough to satisfy their perverted hearts so they put a crown of thorns on him and mocked him. He's being physically abused. He's being verbally abused. He's being neglected. And yet this thorn are put on his, these thorns are put on his head. Almost to remind us of what Moses wrote in Genesis 3. That because of the curse and because of the fall, thorns and thistles will be in the land. It's almost as if we're seeing a picture of Christ coming and taking on the curse that is on us. That's why Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So what's the point in this? The point is this, is that he receives the curse on our behalf and taking the punishment that we deserve. So when we look at Jesus and we see that what he went through, we see the brutality and the aloneness and the suffering, church, that we see a picture of what our sin costs. So when we make light of sin, when we downplay and we excuse or make light of, we downplay and excuse and maybe even neglect what Jesus went through on our behalf. So question, church, is what are some of the things that you laugh at? Does our humor glorify God or does it glorify ourselves? Because underneath our crude jokes are ranked with perversion and makes light of what Jesus went through. I mean, Jesus spilled his blood first so that we wouldn't have to. So there may be some of us this morning who are experiencing inward pain. There may be some self-hate that's going on in you. There may be some shame that's going on in you. And maybe the relief that you go to is you hurt yourself, you inflict pain upon yourself. But church, Jesus was cut so that we don't have to cut ourselves. His blood was spilt so that our blood doesn't have to be spilt. I mean, here is love that Jesus willingly entered into the dark so we could possess the light. Jesus was utterly alone so we could be brought close. Jesus was humiliated so we could be lifted out of the pit. Good news this morning, church. There's hope. Jesus was broken so that we could be healed. Jesus endured chaos so that we could experience peace. The relief that we're looking for is not an escape, but clinging on to the truths of the gospel. This is why he came. And this is why we serve a God who is with us. He is our Emmanuel, defeating and conquering sin when it seems like he is being defeated. In verse four, Pilate goes out again, 
John 19, he says, see, I'm bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, behold, the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Even though Jesus had been tortured, abused, the crowds were still not satisfied. The people actually grow in their hostility. And three times alone in this passage, three times alone and there's more, Pilate says to the crowd and over Jesus, I find no guilt in him. He's righteous. And get the scene. There's some imagery here. It's a time of Passover. And at the time of Passover, those 200 to 300,000 people, they were coming to sacrifice a lamb. The Passover lamb. And so you got all these people. Don't miss it, y'all. You got all these people who are bringing lambs to Jerusalem. And if you've ever been around lambs, they're not quiet. They can be kind of noisy. So you got the, the noise of, of lambs in the streets of Jerusalem. And you got people who maybe actually have their lamb with them. And they're hearing the words of Pilate saying, I find no guilt in him. Behold the man. Did they not remember in John 1 29 where, where, where John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did they not remember in Exodus 12 verse 5 that says that the Passover lamb should be without blemish, without fault. I mean, Pilate is saying to the people, this is the Lamb of God who has no guilt and no shame. He is righteous. And the people in the crowds, they miss it. How could they miss it? It says in Matthew 27, verse 18, it says, For Pilate knew that it was out of envy the Jews had delivered Jesus up. Church, envy will take you places you never thought you'd go. Jealousy. A feeling of being discontent. This resentful longing maybe aroused by someone else's possessions or their qualities. That envy distorts reality and it hinders us from seeing the truth. We think, how could the religious people do this? How could, how, how could they miss it? It's because envy blinds us. And we can share in some of that discontent. Because envy is never quenched. It's never satisfied. It looks to creation what only the creator can provide. Envy is self-righteous. It's self-glorifying. And finds its root in entitlement. Thinking, God, you owe me. You're not enough. Therefore, give me what belongs to me. Here's the good news, church, is that Jesus came and he invaded our envy-mad world, was punished for this envy, and died and rose from the grave so it'd be, it would not have, have any power over us. This is what we celebrate next week. But for the moment, he faithfully entrusts himself to the Father's plan. So as Jesus is confronted with this envy, I mean, he is literally defeating it as king. So some questions, church, I want to ask you is, are you content with what you have? Does the desire for more drive your life? Is your obedience rooted in entitlement? Outwardly, you got it going on, but inwardly, with a desire for more, maybe even more approval for your own glory. Is Jesus enough? Like truly, well, of course he is, but truly, truly is Jesus enough? 
because John continues to write, the Jews answered him, we have a law. Well, now they're going to start quoting the Bible on him. We have a law. And according to this law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And if you have a pen, maybe right next to that, Leviticus 24, 16, because it actually says that anybody who uh, says uh, that they are God commits blasphemy and is worthy of death. But maybe what they didn't consider, like, what if he actually is the son of God? And when Pilate heard this, this is interesting, he, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. You think, why is Pilate afraid? I mean, he's in charge. He's the governor. And yet at these words that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, he gets all the more afraid. So there's some Roman belief going on. There's some, some, uh, some Roman uh, mythology that, that they would actually believe that deities would come and dwell amongst the people. And so he's terrified because for the first time, maybe Pilate actually considers, is this one of them? Is this one of the, one of the guys that is a deity? Because if I put this guy to death, like it's gonna be on my head. A foreign ruler, a ruthless ruler is actually being more sensitive to spiritual things than God's own people. And he's all the more afraid. And we see in verse 10, he looks at Jesus and says to him, hey, you, you will not speak to me? There's irritation in his voice. Who do you think you are? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? How dare you, Jesus, not open up your mouth? Which maybe, church, we don't need to use so many words because when we don't use so many words, we actually see what's in people. And as Jesus is quiet, Pilate's heart is being displayed He's saying, do you not know who I am? I mean, Pilate is terrified. He's full of fear. And yet behind his confidence and position, he's hiding behind these things. So church, what are some things that we hide behind? He's all the more terrified and then he appeals to his position, to his authority in order to hide behind the fear that's really going on inside him. Do we hide behind having it all together? Because you and I don't. And when we make a living behind this wall, it keeps us further isolated and in shame. Healing comes by bringing these things into the light, first with Jesus, then his people. And Jesus answered in verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given, for, uh, given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Listen, Pilate, you are where you are because I put you there. Therefore, you're going to be held accountable to him for the authority that's been now entrusted to you. Because Pilate, you think you're in charge, you think you're the man, but there's a man above you that you're going to be held accountable to. So like our bosses, those that have been placed in authority over us, like they have a boss too. His name's King Jesus. He's going to, that we're all going to have to report to. Hey, Pilate, before you roll up on me and say, hey, what kind of, you got, you got your authority and you got your, your position do you not know who you're talking to? He doesn't. But what about this greater sin that Jesus mentions? And just, just, to, just to just speak to it, you gotta get the picture that Caiaphas is the one who is the high priest. So I believe that Jesus is speaking about Caiaphas because of his position, that God had given Caiaphas the authority to lead God's people as Israel's high priest. And Pilate only had received power to govern politically. And Caiaphas, he knew better. He possessed the truths of God. He was supposed to be leading God's people, but he was actually leading them astray. 
And now he's killing the long-awaited Savior. Unto whom much is given, much will be required. And from that counter, uh, Pilate, from then on, verse 12, sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And this was it for Pilate. Like, this was the deal breaker. Like, he, there was a nerve that was hit. How dare you question my allegiance to Rome? What the Jews were really saying is, hey, we're about to go above your head. And like, if you don't do what we, what, like, we want you to do, it's about to go down. There's gonna be a revolt. There's gonna be a rebellion. And Pilate, you're gonna be labeled as soft and weak. And for a man who's already in power, who's already got a big head, no way. There's no way that's gonna happen. But we see at this point that Pilate's job, Pilate's possessions, Pilate's freedom, and maybe his own life were not worth the cost of claiming Jesus as king. So question, church, is does Jesus rule your life, all of it, or only the things that are more convenient? If you lost your job, your bank account, your possessions, your friends, your family, even your own life, would he still be worth following? Abraham Cooper writes this, he says, there's, a, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. And if you, you have kids this morning, I know this word is tossed around a lot in your house, that word mine. Because they, they think their toys belong to them, they think like they're, even their own rooms belong to them. And when siblings come into the picture and they want, they want that object, the first word that comes out of their mouth are, now nah, this thing is mine. And we send our teenagers to their rooms because we don't know what else to do with them. And they cry out, this is my room. And as parents, you look at the situation like, kids, like, you, do you pay for like the mortgage? You paying for the utilities? You paying the light bill? Are you even contributing like whatsoever? Who are you to think that you actually own this? But yet, church, we do the same thing. Because when the king comes in and he looks at our lives and he goes into the, the deepest places of our souls and starts turning things that were once in the dark into the light, he says, am I still king? Or is this yours? Church, what is blocking you? I don't know where you're at this morning, but what is blocking you from completely surrendering to King Jesus? Because whatever that is, the status, the job, the, 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 the paycheck, whatever it is, maybe the food, the drink, whatever it may be, whatever is keeping you from fully surrendering and come to Jesus, let me tell you this morning that he's worth it. That he, that he came and lived a life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve. He defeated sin, death, and evil. He's making all things new and he's, even us. This thing is cosmic and he's worth it. That we are created to make much of him and as we make much of him, we enjoy him. That's where life is at. And so seeing that picture and seeing who Jesus is, it's like, whatever. Whatever doesn't belong to you, King Jesus, whatever light switch that you turn on in my life and the things that have been kept hidden in the dark, they're yours. Because I'm done. You've changed my life. Because church, this, the compartmentalized life dethrones Jesus from our hearts and places ourselves as king. 
This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 73, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That I may be weak, I may be dying, I may be plagued with cancer, I may be in the hospital, I may go through some physical stuff, that even though my flesh and my heart may fail, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion, my cup, my everything. So that even though this body is wasting away, there's an inward man that is being renewed day by day. Are you leaning into it? He's king, he's worth He's worth following. But yet the irony in verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. Pilate sits down to judge the ultimate judge. What? The irony now it was the day of Passover, sorry, the day of preparation of the Passover, verse 14, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And out of ridicule, such is your king of Israel, shackled, weak, defenseless. This king of the Jews is bloody and now is sentenced to death at your request. And they cried out, away with him. Away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Just getting one more jab in there. First is behold the man, now behold the king. This is your king, y'all. Because we're going to take this king. We've already beaten him, we've already scourged him, we're going to put a cross on him. He's going to go through the, the streets of Jerusalem paraded. And the message that is being sent that if you look at Jesus and you see what he endured, like, don't mess with Rome. Because this is what happens when you mess with Rome. This is your king. And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to be crucified. I mean, the Jews accused Jesus of blasphemy, but now they themselves are guilty of blasphemy, what they're doing. Their hearts are revealed. They were willing to publicly not only reject Jesus, but they're publicly rejecting the God that they believe in to get what they want because they didn't want God. They were consumed with their own glory so much so that they came and killed the one who died for them. It was about to raise from the grave for them to have a relationship and to have life that Jesus is king. And because of his kingship, we surrender our lives to him because he's worth it. And I love what Christian was praying earlier that when we see the scene and we see John chapter 19, we think, man, how, like, how dare they? How dare Pilate? How, how, how dare uh, Barabbas get off like scot-free? But it's in these characters we see things that are directly related to our own hearts. Because each person in the story is a picture of our own depravity. So think about Barabbas, a thief. It's us that rob God's glory for our own fame. That's what I already talked about. Think about the Roman soldier and the brutality that they were about. 
There's a Roman soldier in us that finds satisfaction in tearing down others to make ourselves look good or feel good. There's a religious leader in us that feeds off of envy. And there's a crowd in us who is easily persuaded to excuse the way that we live. Because the Jews went in, they're persuading the people and the people are easily persuaded. And I don't know about church if it's really people that are persuading you to think differently about Jesus, but maybe it is some people in your life that are doing that. Maybe they shouldn't be so much in your life or have so much of a voice in your life. But I think even for ourselves in our own voices, we can start excusing Jesus's kingship. We can make light of things that are in our lives that are in the dark. The voices that go on inside of our head. And this is why when Jesus was getting baptized and the voice of the Father comes out, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, is are we tuning in and listening to the voice? Are we going to God's word and saying, God, I desperately need to hear your truths. If I don't hear your truths, if I'm not coming to your truths, I'm anchored in your truth, then I'm going to wander. I'm going to wander into other things that don't satisfy me, God, the way that you satisfy me. There's voices that are going out, that are out here, but they're also in here. And the crowd is easily persuaded. Are we easily persuaded? Do we truly believe? Do we truly believe the truths of God? Do we truly believe, have we truly surrendered? Have we truly banked our lives on these truths? And if not, what's preventing you? There's not only a crowd in us, there's not only a religious leader in us, there's not only a Barabbas in us, there's not only, uh, 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 there's also a pilot in us that wants to remain on the fence. Because you see the tension, you see Pilate, you see the neutrality that he's trying to do. Because he wants to release him, but then, like, then he doesn't. He's afraid, and then all of a sudden he's confident. But here's the truth neutrality to the king is not an option. We can't remain on the fence. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you think of Jesus, but I want to invite you to think about this. Is will you surrender your life over to him fully? To honestly ask yourselves, what is holding you back? You've never done that before. I invite you to do so. And for those that maybe do have a relationship with him, what are some of those things that light switches are going off in you that you're like, no, mm-mm, don't touch that. Because if I touch that, that's going to cost something. But there's a freedom that awaits you when you put those things down that you never would have experienced before holding on to them. I want to close with a reading from Philippians 2. Paul writes this to the Philippian church. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to King Jesus. Will we do so now? Or will we wait till later when there's not enough time and our time is up? For his, for his kingdom, church, and for his glory.
And before I close in a word of prayer, I'm gonna ask parents, as soon as I'm done praying for you, go get your child for communion. And then we'll continue on and celebrate and remember what Christ did for us. Let me pray. Jesus, we're grateful that you came, uh, God, and in your coming, you brought life. And so it may be a little thick in this room, uh, maybe because there's some light switches going off. That this isn't the typical Palm Sunday celebration, but yet it is. Because we, have, we as your people who have your truth are seeing what you're doing behind the scenes. We see that you're at work. We see that you're revealing yourself in dreams and you're making a statement that this Jesus who came, he was righteous and he was without fault and yet people still missed it. So God, I pray for our people. I pray for myself that we wouldn't miss it. God, that we would lay envy down. We would lay jealousy down. God, that we would come into the light and experience you and your freedom and what it looks like to submit to you and to surrender to the king, not just in one area of life, but in all of life. Because the compartmental life will destroy us as we hide behind walls, as we pretend. But God, there's healing in the vulnerability. And there's healing in the light. And so as we continue on in worship, God, we want to be a part of making the much of you. And as we make much of you, we want to enjoy you. We love you, God. Jesus, thank you for coming. Experiencing the brutality and the cost of what you endured. God, I don't want to make light of my sin. I don't want to excuse it. I don't want to make fun of it. We see you and we see what you've done. The one who came and was pierced so that we can have life. We love you, King Jesus. To your name I pray. Amen.